Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Metcast, the official podcast of Manchester Metropolitan University. In each episode, we bring you interviews, insights and inspiration from students, staff, alumni and the wider world and share some of the great stories we've discovered from across the university. This is part two of a special two-part podcast where we bring you an exclusive conversation between two of our award-winning poets, Malaika Booker and Andrew McMillan. Pia Malaika interviews Andrew, a multi-award winning poet whose debut collection Physical was the first ever poetry collection to win the Guardian First Book Award. His second collection Playtime was named a Poetry Book of the Year in the Sunday Times. Malaika talks to Andrew about his new collection of poetry and the inspiration behind two of his brand new poems entitled George and Swan. Andrew offers amazing insight into how his poems are formed and the creative process involved. We will also hear Andrew reading exclusive pieces from his new anthology. So hi, my name is Malaika Booker. I'm a lecturer um, in the writing department at Manchester Metropolitan University. And I'm here with Andrew McMillan, a fierce and and fearsome poet, Um, my colleague as well. Um, And and yeah, just a prize-winning poet, a, a lover of poetry, um, I'm a big fan of his, so I might sound a bit gushy on here. Um, and we're here to look at, talk about his, his new collection. So I'm going to start, first of all, so I, I was privy, I'm trembling and tingling all over to kind of receive Andrew's new, hot, new manuscript. And, um, we're going to be looking at two brand new poems from him. Um, and the first thing I wanted to ask Andrew, actually, Andrew and I always talk about risk and we talk about how do we communicate the notion of taking risk to our students. And for me, I'm really excited by this um, collection because just the two poems show me that Andrew is taking a risk. So let's talk about risk, Andrew, I want to ask you, and risk in response to this project as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that... This book is a risk in two ways for me. It's a risk formally. I've never really written long poems. I've never really written poems in sections. I've always written like a kind of Sharon Olds block of something that just does something kind of very straightforward, I think. And also I think in subject matter, like these are poems that reach out more towards my other family members, towards my partner, in a way that I think the first two books felt exposing, but I was only exposing myself. And to a certain extent, I think that's fine because I can control that and I can decide how much to give away of myself. And that's my, I've got autonomy over that. I think when poems step into other people's lives, that becomes slightly more complicated. Um, And I think certainly in the first poem that we'll probably talk about, that that was a a wrestle, I think. Mm. Um, Can we hear the first poem? Can you read it for us, please? Absolutely. So this poem is called George, um, and it's for my nephew who um, was born, um, stillborn, um, last year. So this is George, 1st of August 2019 to the 1st of August 2019. One. A pigeon has mistaken our window for horizon. As we head out to work, we find it stretched out as though for flight, Asleep in the garden of its own spilt feathers. Still warm. Dawn air fresh on its back as we bag it and bin it. All day, the news is of a mother shot in the head as she lay over the body of a toddler. Another mother is to be charged with manslaughter 
because she was shot in the stomach and her fetus died. Come the evening, the yard is still downy with the soft shrapnel of the bird. Two, no one is sure how we should look after this sadness, uninvited, unwelcome. For 20 minutes yesterday, my parents sat and watched a hawk keep lookout from the birdbath. I know it happens, but not to... My other sister sends me photographs, tiny lashes resting on your eyes as though they've been stitched shut. It's days before my parents sleep again, their daughter gone to grief, their other daughter stoic as she collects me in the car. How is everything? She'd asked. Not good. The car swings like a gate into the driveway. Three. Sometimes the world untucks itself, goes feral, gives us rain, a month's worth in a single hour, stress fracture. The dwellings built beneath the dam must be evacuated. The structure must be emptied to a stable level. People work all night with pumps and ropes, with the precision of surgeons all night. The rain hacks down in short bursts like an incessant cough. The dam buckles permanently on the edge of failure. Some people still refuse removal, hold tight inside their muggy living rooms. Here's the thing, Mr. Presenter of the local news. Here's the thing. I'm staying put. I'm waiting for the clouds or else that dam or else myself to break. For a coffin the size of a pillow, your body laid down soft inside. It's early before the day's procession of adult cremations. We have this hour to say goodbye to you. Three pews of your would have been family, no speeches, nothing to read from the short blank page of your life, no anecdotes for comfort, just this ceremony. Un birth, slipping back behind the heavy folds of curtains and later at the wake the other children play themselves into exhaustion, pre-verbal, theirs is a language entirely of gesture, willing us to smile at them, help them when they bump themselves, teach them how to hold their hands over the place that hurts. Five. How should we think of you, dear nephew, except in your entirety? You are not the small hook of a life which didn't latch, nor the spark from a flint which didn't ignite, nor the unwanted creature smoked out of its burrow. You were complete and ready, arriving into the room an already past tense thing, lost before you found your way into the ward. George, I'll tell you what you'll never get to know. We think we're safe. We think ourselves secure. But life sometimes short circuits. Nature comes knocking at the door. Oh, thank you. God, it's so 
amazing to hear you read these. So for me, at the heart of these poems, at the heart of this sequence, is, is this notion of the mercy of nature. Um, there's a tenderness and kindness in the tone of the poem. It's kind of like a, a hug, a remuneration, a, a kind of a, a grieving. It's kind of like an anti-elegy elegy. <laughs> because, you know, it feels like there's a blank. There's, there's not a life to mourn, but there's, there's, there's still life to mourn. Um, what's fascinating for me is the role that birds play in this poem. Um, and so, um, talk to me about, and, and, Talk to me firstly about the role of birds and what birds allow you to do, because you have a pigeon, you have the, um, what's the other bird you have here that, that your parents... It's the hawk, the hawk, isn't there, yeah. And the pigeon, um, which are really on interesting birds in terms of this, in, in terms of the terrain that we're having. But what, what I wanted to talk, to start off by talking about that. I, th- I think that's a really interesting question. And I mean, I think the... You know, any any incident like that is is horrible and is incredibly sad. And and at that time, it was how much out of the blue it came. And so um, he'd been he'd been carried to full term. Um, my sister had had, had um, it was the it was the due date. In fact, it was the delivery date. Um, and so when I got a call from my dad, that I thought that was telling me that he'd been born, etc. But it was telling me this other news. And so it was the. It was the sudden shock of it, this kind of sideways shock of just utterly unexpected. Anybody else that's ever died in my life has either been ill or quite old. I've been lucky in that sense. And so you're kind of half prepared for it or it's not a kind of sideways jolt. And it was just this thing that blindsided me. Uh, and that I think was that's what made it so difficult to deal with. And so there was just something about the the randomness of it the randomness of nature somehow that you know there wasn't any it wasn't for any particular reason it was just one of those things it was just one of those natural things that sometimes happens and so somehow finding that pigeon on the floor outside or kind of that hawk that shouldn't be in a suburban village garden in south yorkshire but was suddenly in mum and dad's garden that and all that was kind of happening at the same time and so it just felt like a way of of this unexpectedness of of the power of nature kind of coming to bear, I think, on it. And I think, I mean, one of the lines I'm caught by is that line where you say, the yard is still downy with the soft shrapnel of the bird. Mm -hmm. And that shrapnel, as you continue, it's the last line of the first sequence, but I felt that as you continued reading, you felt like, you felt like you were being propelled to the pieces like a bullet, like a piece of, like, like the remnants of the shrapnel that's left behind. I wondered if the word shrapnel, did you, was that the first word? This is a poet in me trying to ask you this question, but does that the first, <laughs> was that the first one you had there or, or, or did you have to play with it to get that precise, that precise, that precision? I think I really had to play with that. I can't remember exactly now, but I certainly think that's an image that I really had to work on. And it might have even been one that I had from a different poem, but just felt suddenly like it fit. Because the other thing that is kind of coming to bear on this poem, I think, aside from the nature, are just these catastrophic world events that were happening at the time. So these horrible stories that were in the news at that time about what was happening to... um, these women in America, and then about this dam that was in um, it's somewhere in the Peak District, and the, they thought it was about to kind of eviscerate the village. They thought it was about to burst, and that was just all going on at the same time. And so there was something about the kind of madness of the outside world 
and, and the kind of chaos of that and the violence of that against this kind of very domestic, everyday kind of loss as well, I guess. And, and what is it? I mean, I always think about the sequence as a way that you kind of can zoom in and zoom out in terms of a poem. Um, how does the sequence aid you? And, and, and what do you think these zooming in out of these, these, these kind of catastrophic events and then kind of zooming in right at the end. It's right at the end where we kind of have that conversation and address to George, you know, but what did that, what did that provide in terms of space, in terms of connection, in terms of them being laid against each other? The fact that it's a single poem, but there are these sections to it. And again, you know, like I said, it's a relative, it's a new thing for me to be trying to do. Like, it's not something that I'm kind of au fait with, but there was something about it, it allowed the, it allows the personal grief of something to exist in a bigger world that I don't know how successful a poem would be that just kind of sat in, sat within my experience of kind of going to that funeral and then afterwards, like that's the kind of little, that might be a short lyric poem, but might not be able to capture something. It's almost like with your, um, your poem about the, those kind of nine night rituals and the lamentations that you need those different perspectives to almost make it prismatic and to say, well, this is what's happening to me, but almost that, that this is also what's happening in the world at the same time. And somehow those two things together just playing off against each other, really, that there's, there's no comfort to be found in the domestic, but there's also no comfort to be found in the world. And in the last couple of years, I think we've just all felt that more and more. Um, the last thing I want to ask you about this, and then I'm going to ask you to read your other poem, is I want us to look at closely at, at, at um, the, the, third poem, the third poem in the section. I, I found it moving. I found it, I feel like it's, it's it, you know, it, 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 it's just when the musical note is going to change, it gets to the heart of something and then it's going to change. And it's really in terms of the, the use, sometimes the world on tucks feral, you know, um, evacuated, emptied, the rain hacks down in short bursts, the cough, the buckles, the, and then it all, all of that keeps building and building this language, this descriptive language, and then you get to, to break, sitting on its own. Um, and I found that, like, I felt like that was the emotional core. That felt like a scoring for me of, 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 of what's happening not not the not the literal um presentation of this village and this dam that's happening in the poem, but also the the kind of um interior world of your family and yourself the kind of so that this 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 experience and the language enabled a vocabulary or a way to kind of address this unexplainable emotional landscape or or boundary do, do you think that's a that's a, a, an interesting observation, or do you think that's right? Or? Yeah, I do. I, I, it, it, it does. It, it sounds really true to me because I think there's something about, I mean, all the kind of different griefs that the book kind of tries to wrestle with. There's a there's a way in which they exist in a macro level, like so this big thing has happened, but then also just day to day, I think you just try and survive. You just have to get through the next day, right? You kind of can't contemplate the the bigness of it. You just make sure that, you're okay kind of going forward for the next day and there was something fascinating about the news coverage of that dam that there were literally people just sat in the houses going no I'm not moving I've lived here for 40 as though kind of as though it was 
as though just by sitting there they could kind of wait it out. And just because we could see it live on the news that the army were desperately trying to rebuild this dam, but the water was starting to come through. Like, and if it, if it had have broken, it would literally have just washed it away. Like there would have been nothing left of that village because it's built at the bottom of the dam. Um, and so somehow that, and just because that was going on at the same time, it just, there was something that felt like it could sit, as you say, in the middle of this sequence as a kind of hinge, that notion of I'm just going to wait for something to break. And that's either going to be me or it's going to be the situation or it's going to be the structure of how I'm living, but something's going to break. And and then kind of using that as the as the kind of turn, I guess. Um, I know I said it's the last, it was the last one, but um, I, I remember I did a, a workshop with Kwame Doors and we talked about the, the ending of a sequence and sometimes that the ending of a que- sequence is a space to allow the, the person to speak back to you or for you to have a personal interaction with the, with the person. And I think, interestingly, at the end of, 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 of the sequence we were discussing when you were interviewing me for, for, the, for, my, for the podcast we were doing together, um, we talked about the end of the sequence being the mother's emotion or the mother's speech. She says what grief is to her. I found it interesting that your last speech is, the last um, in this sequence is an address to George and this idea that you are not the small hook. You know, and nature comes knocking at our door. George, I'll tell you what we have never, what we will never get to know. You know, and this, it's almost like this acknowledgement of George and this seeking advice to him, but almost like a lullaby speaking to yourself. How the, 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 the thing about a sequence is how do you end it? Did you know this was the ending? I think it, that line is Anne Sexton. And I don't know why Anne Sexton is in the back of this poem, but Anne Sexton, like, you know, these poets just turn up uninvited, right? And you kind of have to let them in or not. But Anne Sexton's got that great poem called The Double, where she's talking about kind of having a daughter. And at the end, it just says, like, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what you'll never, I'll tell you what you'll never know. I had you to save me. And that's the kind of revelation of the poem. And I, so I had in my head this notion of, I'll tell you what you'll never get to know. And that kind of phrase was turning around for me. And earlier on, Anne Sexton comes in in another section with that. Um, the car swings like a gate is kind of Anne Sexton as well. Um, Cause she's got that great line, the wind swings in like an iron gate um, in one of her poems. But, so I think partly I just had that refrain in my head, but it felt like the poem was kind of dancing around other people's emotions. It was kind of looking at what happened. And there was a sense in which, as a family, I think we decided that he we were going to talk about him as though he'd lived, that that was important, that it wouldn't just be an absence, that we would always kind of have George and we'd remember his birthday and things like that. Um, and sorry, I get emotional when I talk about it. And so... There was a sense in which that that final moment of talking back to him just felt, I think, like an underscoring of that, that this is, that you're a kind of real person. And I think contrasted to those news stories that we get at the start where people, because it's delivered to us kind of so vicariously through the news in, in quick little bulletins that we don't get that opportunity to kind of learn that, you know, to, we don't get the names sometimes of the children or we don't get the, you know, and so I guess a clum, a very clumsy, I guess, attempt to maybe think about that as well. Um, I want us to move to Swan, <laughs> yes. um, which I absolutely adore. Um, could you read a Swan, please? God, yeah. So um, Swan... In in one of the sections has a rewriting of that old um, 
nursery rhymes sing a song of sixpence and I'm never sure whether I should burst into song or just kind of say it with a little bit of a lyric lilt so I'll see how I feel when I get there um this is swan one the lake is calm tonight the moon has dropped white feathers on the water tonight the lake is calm the wavelets lap like rustling wings the lake tonight is calm but look who is coming in to land to tear the peace asunder? Two. My first time in water, I was unnaturally good. Heavier somehow, so much power inside me, arms forcing the water away like prizing someone's mouth apart to take out what's inside. Only ever more water that comes through. Three. Then the year, everything was swan. Feathers on my pillow on the floor. Wet prints in the hallway where I'd walked. Men in white coats, little pellets in their hands. The shadow of my back curved against the wall. Four. The black swan of debt. The black swan of my own body, of my mum. The black swan of sex. The black swan of the house, of the wall, the loft, the damp. The black swan of rain. The black swan of the dog. The black swan of weddings, the black swan of the neighbours, of him. Each one fury-footed in my stomach. Five. Then the year, everything was darkness. The red beak of my longing. The wedge of men in flight from club to club, banked in at every bar. Loneliness, as though I'm dying of thirst. I think the men must be where water is. I always go face first to drink. Six. Sing a swan of sixpence, a broken-hearted guy. Four and twenty whoopers kept locked up inside. When the door was opened, the swans began to hiss. What is the solution for such a man as this? They see you in the living room saying things are wrong. They see you napping fitfully when all your strength is gone. Your mind is in the puddle now, soaking up the rain. They're coming now to peck at it, your damp and ruined brain. Seven. Queen. Mother, don't eat me. Mother, I'm trying so hard to get better. I'm sorry, I'm a queer. Remember how small I was, mother? Newly hatched signet, like a cloud fallen down on the water. Now it's only rain, mother. So much of it. Hitting the lake. Bringing it to the boil. Eight. I plucked each feather from myself. Slight resistance and then arising out like pulling up a weed. When I was bald... I beheld myself in the mirror of the water's edge. My neck looked ridiculous. My eyes, the only part of me that still had life. I raised each failed wing, just flesh now. Nothing for the wind to get up under. The mirror cracked with the tides. I reared up. I jumped. I watched myself, broken, fall towards myself. Thank you so much. It's really refreshing. And actually, um, I've got goosebumps um, because it's it's because it's scary 
seeing such a you as such a narrative poem poet just jump headfirst into the lyric you know um these are such lyrical poems particularly the the, the first one it's such a brave shift it's such a it's such a kind of retraining as well and i remember um one of my mentors, Mimi Kovati, saying that, you know, once you know how to do something, then your next project should be challenging yourself to learn from scratch to do something again. Because it's it, because that that way you you'll always be at the edge of something. And I think that's a thing of taking risk. Um, I know that because I sit close to you in the office that actually I, I'd come in when you when you were working on these poems. And I remember that you'd gone to the ballet to see Swan Lake and, and that you said you were working on these poems on swans. Um, <laughs> and I want I want and, and so when he sent me this poem, I thought, Oh, this is the poem. So I wanted to talk to you about, because a lot of people think about how do you get inspiration? How do you write? Talk to me about the journey from watching this ballet to getting this piece of work. And what did, what did it give you permission to do? How did it open you up to move from, these narrative Sharon Olds kind of like block poems to this really beautiful sparse um, couplets on the page that it, I wish you could see when you get, when the book comes out, you've got to buy it to see these, the way these poems is, uh, are on the page. They're, they're visually beautiful as well. Exquisite. Thank you. Um, well, so yeah, so I went to the ballet and I went to see Matthew Bourne's kind of reimagining of Swan Lake, which is this like bonkers queer imagining of Swan Lake that really strips a lot of the beauty out of it. So the beauty is still there in the movement and it's still there in the music, but it, it strips all that kind of um, kind of facade away from what is in the original ballet. And so when you get in the original, the, the swans come on and they're kind of dancing on point in this really beautiful way. But in Matthew Bourne's version, they're kind of hissy little kind of prissy queens of swans. And there's this really queer undertone to it where basically... I interpreted the narrative to be there's this kind of son who is part of a a kind of very well-to-do family, kind of royal family. They expect him to marry well and all that kind of stuff. But then he meets this, he meets the swan, he meets the kind of swan king, just he's beguiled by it. And so he's, he's attracted by this thing that he knows he shouldn't desire. And so there's that danger in that. And he ends up kind of becoming quite mentally unwell. And, and then at the end he dies because it's Swan Lake. Um, but just that kind of narrative. And I think it was... So partly it was just the storyline of that ballet that gave me the kind of into the poem. But then also just the fact that, you know, the way ballets are, co um, are constructed around individual scenes, I think, as well. And all the time that I was writing it, I was playing the final movement of Swan Lake or on my phone to myself, the final movement of Tchaikovsky's score, which is this astonishing just kind of symbol crash of noise and of music. Um, and that's really kind of what I was going for. Um, and I remember, like, I can't, I couldn't write this now. It's one of those poems, as you'll know, Malika, that, that some poems only come out of a certain moment, right? And you think I couldn't sit down and do that again, but there was something about, and like you said, just trying to, I've wrote two books that were very much the same kind of style. And I'm lucky enough that they did well. I've, I, I kind of feel very secure that I could do that. And I almost just didn't want to do that again. And one of the critiques that was rightly made of the second book was, was that it was very similar to the first book. Um, I always remember one review that said I would have welcomed more surprise. And so there's also always part of me that's quite competitive that goes, well, 
You want some more surprise, you bastards? <laughs> Here it he has an eight-page poem about a swan, <laughs> and just kind of, and wants to just wanted just to try that because I can always do the other stuff. I can always go back and write another Andrew McMillan poem about the body. I know I can do that, but also there has been in the last few years this brilliant emergence of an entire new generation of queer poets. And I kind of think maybe the stuff that I was writing about before, I think that's maybe a young man's game. You know, I'm I'm kind of settled down now. I'm in a monogamous relationship. I can't write about casual encounters and the queer body. I can just write about gardening and go into the ballet because that's who I am now. And so I just think, it, you know, your life shifts and so your poems shift as well. What did the, what did the lyric demand from you that the narrative doesn't? Um, as, a, as, a, as a poet who really likes to tell a story um this this is this is very this is very scary territory for me um and so seeing you make this leap i really wanted to ask you what what, what's the headspace for that do you still think in story and then kind of um or do you think in, in in imagery particularly for that that first that first kind of lyrical couplet um and with the repetition which is very much sound and visual and I think here it, it feels like it, visually on the page when you flick it there's, there's something happening it reminds me of um, um, Glenn Maxwell in the book on poetry where he talks about poetry being sound and silence the black page the black writing the white page and what visually happens there and and and, and yeah and it, it just feels like a sparse kind of painting is it is it a different demand and you know in terms of narrative and then this I think it is. And I think it comes out of just teaching, as you were saying, you know, when we chatted for our podcast as well, what we read and what we teach has such an influence on us. And I have to teach kind of, I have to teach people about long poems and about sequences and things like that. And it struck me that a narrative poem just wants to take you from A to B. So in the past, as you say, I've written, here's a story about how I lost my virginity. Here's a story about the first time that I kissed someone. And you just take someone from A to B, but always with a view that what's behind that is something more important. So I'll take you from A to B, and going from A to B will tell you about intimacy or about the queer body or whatever it is. But there's something about this where, to me, it's that the central, the central idea sits somewhere in the middle and everything has to kind of oscillate around it. So rather than going from A to B, it's that the actual destination or the point of it sits somewhere in the middle and, and you're trying, and you're trying every way that you can to get there. And, and sometimes that will fail. Sometimes you'll have to go another way. But the, you know, the reason why all of them are, are kind of fractured as well and kind of slightly different forms and things like that or different voices. Cause somehow in the middle, there's this central idea of, of mental health and queerness and sadness. I think really a failure, but the, well, let me try eight different ways of coming at that. Whereas before I would have just said, right, this is the poem. Here's something that happened to me. And, th- and that's why it's also exposing because this is. A, pu- a purely invented thing that obviously my life also inspires or because it's, our, you know, our work, our life is always in our work in some way, but it's, it, it's, a, as you say, it's a very new thing for me, but I, I think as, as we get more established as writers, certainly I hope that we have that permission to try things and fail. Like I, I wouldn't have dared do this in my first book, but there's something about it. Like, you, you you just get a bit of you want to try something new. I think even if it even if it fails, I think so. And I think that 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 just keeps you alert and keeps you fresh. And it and I, and I think yes, you you have to. I mean, it's very very scary. 
but you have to, you know, you have to allow yourself that thing to fail. I think, I think, um, we'll end here, but I'll end by summing up something from a line from you. I think you say, I think the men must be where water is. I always go face first to drink. Um, and I read that and I love that line. And I think I, I put, I think, you know, the poet must be where the water is you know mm. and 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 we always go face first to kind of drink to drink the world in <laughs> you know whether it's you know swan lake whether it's um you know a very sad grief that your family doing we drink the world in to kind of recycle that water and how we funnel it means it will be you know it can be like really fresh water or tap water um and then I suppose the poem is the is the kind of does it come out of a shower head? Does it come out of a bottle of water? Um, uh, feels like a weird way to end, but I I really got taken with that quote, and I, I I'm gonna live with those two lines, and they're gonna reverberate with me. I have a feeling they'll both be start off a writing prompt for me at my desk. Um, but thank you, Andrew. It's been a delight to talk to you about these scrumptious new kind of raw and fresh off the press and being the first to kind of talk to you about them is so I mean, if you can't see me now but I'm doing this kind of tingly wiggly dance of <laughs> excitement that I got to speak to Andrew about it's been nice talking to you you too thank you thank you for listening to this latest episode of Manchester Metropolitan University's Metcast your feedback is always welcome as are much needed reviews and ratings on iTunes. So if you have a moment, please head there and let us know what you think. That's all for this episode though. See you next time.